Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and I reckon this is episode 190. Uh, thanks, as always, to Tea Leaf Tea, La Petit Chocolat, and Yeasty Boys. I had a conversation with Cassandra Tees. She is a theatre practitioner. She is a... Uh, quadruple or quintuple threat. She is a singer, actor, writer, director, producer. She runs her own theatre company called Red Scare. Uh, And I didn't know her. This was a first meeting, but I have enjoyed two of the... um, two of the plays from their three-play season uh, for 2019. The third play we talk about that's coming up, that's called Four Nights in the Green Barrow Pub. The first play was Mood Porn. You might remember I interviewed uh, and spoke with Heather O'Carroll, a Wellington actor, and she was in Mood Porn. We talked about that in that podcast a, a few months ago. That was an amazing local play, a first production from a, from a New Zealand playwright. And then Cassandra... Uh, directed and produced the play The Aliens by American playwright Annie Baker which was just phenomenal I went to that and reviewed that on the site Uh, if you want to have a look that's on Off the Track so I'll have a link to it Uh, so she's doing great work and I was very interested to meet her and talk to her and find out uh, where she'd come from and where she gets her energy from Um, so we had a massive talk about musical theatre about all things theatre about separating writing and directing and performing and how she likes to direct other people's work write her own work and have someone else cast an eye on it Uh, we talked about all this stuff it was really interesting to me she's also got her own podcast uh, with her partner James who's uh, a partner also in the company Red Scare Um, they have got a film podcast called Mixed Bag which I'd recommend they geek out on film Um, they don't uh, talk about absolute crap films and they don't talk about five star classics they look at everything in the middle they want to look at films that are maybe problematic with the passing of time they want to look at films that they think have been underappreciated they want to look at films that have dated really badly that were raved about way back for example the first episode is Forrest Gump so they kind of look at that and they all sit around and re-watch the episode uh, re-watch the film and then record the episode Um, so you can check that out that's on all the usual podcast platforms I really enjoyed this conversation. Four Nights in the Green Barrow Pub is coming up in mid-November. I'll have a link to ticket information for that. It's in Wellington. It's actually being staged in a pub. And, uh, yeah, keep Red Scare Theatre Group on your radar. They're doing really exciting things. This is me talking with Cassandra Teese. This is what my family have told me. It's that my family have been in Wellington for, like, my great-grandparents. On my nana's side, longer, Mm. but my... My Batiste side, they can sort of my great grandparents kind of time mm. considered in Wellington and became like fairly well known Wellington people. Mm. Um, so my granddad was like fairly well known and had a company called Teese Group. And so apparently, other Teases that have come later, people will pronounce their surname Teese because of like my granddad because right, they've known right. his company. Um, so what, did the, what was the company? Sort of it. It's called Teese Group, it was yeah. like an architect, like right. architecture firm. Yeah. Um, yeah, like which I don't know, my granddad died before I was born, so I don't right. know heaps about it, but like. Yeah, so apparently that's how this really weird unorthodox pronunciation of share yeah, right, <laughs> um, yeah. has been spread to other family groups because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's just purely, yeah, it just it's just yeah. a lot of English yes. anglicisation yeah, yeah. that's gone back and forth for a long time. Um, and then other people now have it as well because, yeah. like, this one company, then people will be like, oh, like Tease Group. Mm, mm. Um, but other people in different parts of the country would be share or see or tests or whatever yeah yeah um. <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard a few different goes yeah. at it um, yeah. I, I always 
I don't know. I always thought it was tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, how, how, so you grew up in Wellington, did you? you yeah. You're so, a Wellingtonian, you've been yeah. here your whole life. Um, so I was born in Wellington and I've lived here my whole life, except one year I lived in New York. Um, and yeah, uh, just kind of grew up around sort of Seatoon kind of area. Mm. It's all my family live out there. Mm. When, when were you in New York and what was it for? Yeah, so I went uh, 2015 to 2016, so kind of just pre-election, which is mm. kind of a really weird um, time to experience America, I think, because mm. it was this very kind of false sense of security almost. Yes, You're sitting there yeah, going yeah, like, yeah. Oh, everything's going, getting for the better. <laughs> the arc of progress <laughs> is, is, is coming, yeah. you know, and, and then now I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to go back until everything's blown over a bit over there. Um, but I had this visa, which is like a J1 exchange visa, which you can get if you've graduated in the last year. Um, so I graduated with my honours degree in end of, beginning of 2015, end of 2014 was when mm. I finished the degree. And so went over, um, directly after that and I've been kind of been planning it since about second year of my degree um and sort of yeah planning what I was going to do and where I'd go and so it was a really really incredible experience mm. I got to um I interned at Signature Theatre which is an off-Broadway um company over there um which yeah was was really interesting and really cool really fantastic company um it was kind of an interesting time to be there as well because their artistic director was um, giving the company over to a new artistic director after 25 years um, due to he had some some health problems mm. and has now passed away. Um, but it was like this kind of end of an era time and there was a lot of like celebration of the past 25 years of their work. Um, it was a really incredible company to go to as a playwright because they um, yeah are a, are a company that is all about celebrating different playwrights mm, mm. Um, and exploring playwrights' work. Um, and that was really fantastic. But yeah, having the visa meant that I could also get other jobs as well um, that paid me money. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was so able you to actually, survive for a year yeah, and you pay could rent. You, you could exist. <laughs> exactly. You could, yeah. you know, eat food yeah. <laughs> and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. But it was, it was really awesome. Um, and yeah, I'd be. I'd love to live overseas again another time. But yeah, also, I was going to say, does it make you want to go back there? There's I so guess many, there's so many other places to go. But in yeah. terms of what you're doing, that would have been a pretty good introduction to a world that yeah. you'd like to revisit. And I think like there are a lot of things about the American way of making theatre that really appeal to me. Like you know, being a music theatre person, particularly obviously New York is the centre of mm. musical theatre in the world. I think people would, very few people would kind of argue against that. Um, and also the way that they think about direction and playwriting, like there's kind of an American school and a bit of a European school and the way that the thought process works. Mm. And I feel a lot more akin to the American school, which is very much, um, direction as a, as a thing to serve playwriting. Um, and I really felt that I learned a lot and was really excited to, mm. to get to see practitioners that I really identified with when I was over there. Um, after coming out of New Zealand training and it being a little bit more kind of like, oh, the really interesting directing is all this European stuff. And then I'm like, actually, I don't know, I really like the way that these American directors collaborate with their mm. playwrights um, mm. as a person that does both. Um, so, yeah, I think that was really exciting. I, I would I would love to go back over there, but it's really just, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to go over there right now. Yeah, like, yeah. You no. know, it's a dangerous uh, place to be, really. We were there on um, just on holiday mm. right in 2016 right when they were like when he was doing actually we were there when um melania had been caught oh. for plagiarism oh, right. <laughs> you know yeah, of, yeah, of michelle's yeah. speech at the 
Republican rally or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So we were there around that, but we were we were in very blue states. Yes. So we were just watching it, probably as we'd watch it here. Obviously, more coverage, mm. but we were sitting around with people that were like, "How is this happening?" No one was cheering them on, but it was still a very weird time to be there. Yeah, and the prevailing attitude, I think, I know around everybody that I was around in New York was very much just like, "Ah, oh, Trump's not going to get in. Like, this is oh, ridiculous. Yeah. Like, we're was... so excited to have our first female president. It's going to yeah. be great." Um, you know. And it was kind of, I think it really just took everybody aback um, mm. from, you know, the kind of, the people in New York City that are just so divorced from the, the rest of that it's yeah. a huge country. <laughs> I can re- yeah, yeah, totally. I can remember, I mean, yeah, I mean, election night following it and just mm. even then just going, this isn't actually going to happen. Yeah. Like, you're just sort of almost waiting for the, you know, like, the, scoo- the Scooby-Doo yeah. villain. Yeah. yeah like, pulling, <laughs> pulling the mask off and going, you know, I didn't really... Yeah. Yeah, so. unreal. Hmm. So let's go. Let's go back because we've only just met. I mean, we've we've. Um, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about you. I know a bit about some of your work, and I want to yeah. get to know more. So, I'm interested to talk a bit more about American theatre and what you've got from it. But let's go all the way back. So you grew up in Seaton. Yeah, so I grew up much. in Wellington, mm. um, and yeah, lived out um, in Seaton. Is where my family all mm. <laughs> they currently all live in like one house. There's a whole. <laughs> flatmate situation going on with my nana, my uncle, my mum and my dad, which I find really <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I kind of went to school um, at Coburnie School when I was little and then to St Mark's when I was an intermediate and then I got a scholarship over to Queen Margaret for high school. Um, and then yeah, went to Victoria University, which I kind of knew I wanted to go to because um, basically of the International Institute of Modern Letters because mm. I was really excited about that um, and I did my minor in creative writing through there, um, and my degree was in theatre and English literature. Um, yeah, and so it's, I, I, yeah, I, I think I've never really felt a huge pull to go and live anywhere else mm. in New Zealand. I really like Wellington. Um, I'm a very city person, I guess, because yeah. of growing up in a city, but also uh, the Auckland kind of vibe has never really appealed to me. Well, um, I guess, too, yeah. with what you're doing, you know, uh, the support of the the kind of IIML as a as a and the and the literature end of theatre. Hmm. Theatre is obviously linked, yeah. but can exist on its own and be grungy and completely separate from the literature yeah. scene. But I having think, them together, I think there is a there is a sort of a whole range of different ways you can make theatre. And I mean, I think there's some really incredible stuff coming out of like the devising scene mm. where people are you know making things without a script um it's just not really how i personally work mm. um like i'm really in awe of people that are able to work that way yeah yeah they make some incredible things but for me um i kind of come from this playwriting background and very much about words on the page and then mm. yeah mm. That, which i guess is a little bit more traditional in some exte- uh, you know respects mm. um but i think you can be you can do such really exciting things with written play text um, yeah. so i find it really exciting and when, so where did that all come from? Like, what were you, as a kid, when, were you, were you a, a bookworm? Were you a, I was definitely a bookworm. Yeah. I, yeah, was a really early reader and a very voracious reader throughout all of my childhood. I get kind of depressed when I think about how, like, I, <laughs> how much little I read now compared right. to when I yeah, was a yeah. kid. I yeah. just had so much more time for it, I mm. guess. 
Um, and it's one of those things that I'm always just like, okay, I have to just put aside more time for reading and that, not Twitter, but actual reading. Of yeah, books. well, you're, that's a, we're, all, we're, all, we're all still reading, but we're reading a lot of some lot good of really stuff, but a lot of nonsense. Stuff that's, that's right. Nonsense on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I need to actually read real work because <laughs> every time I do read a book, I'm like, oh yeah, I love this. Why did I, why did I do this anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I definitely read a lot, and I I actually started out. I guess technically I started out in theatre because I did ballet when I was really young because um, I guess my parents wanted me to do a sport <laughs> yeah. and I didn't want to do a sport yeah. um, so I did I did dance and I'm not a particularly good dancer and I wasn't a particularly good dancer <laughs> when I was a kid but it also kind of introduced me to being on stage my first role was uh, Toto in The Wizard of Oz when I was six which was a great starring <laughs> role um, I just had to run around and make mm. dog noises um, but then, yeah, I kind of took drama how did you not, high school. How did you not, with that background, how did you not get into devised theatre? <laughs> well, there were very strict instructions right. of when to make the button. Right, right. You, know, you, was, could, you, couldn't, you couldn't go off page. It wasn't an improv situation. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was, you know, kind of my first sort of big thing that I got to yeah. do when I was very, very little. And I think I'd sort of loved theatre from that point onwards. Um, and, yeah, then I, I became um, really interested in singing and music as I got kind of older um, and did, you know, sang a lot of choirs and things in school and took singing lessons, but also um, was very interested in musical theatre. And my parents had also kind of been quite interested in musical theatre. My mum's always been really into musicals. My dad a little bit as well, to a lesser extent, I think. But, you know, we kind of grew up listening to a lot of things, like cassette tapes in the car of, like, Oliver and, J- J- the, you know, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat mm. and Les Miserables and all those sorts of things. Um, so I kind of had that as, like, a background for myself um, from a really young age and then I took drama in high school and was very yeah interested in kind of I feel like I don't know if I ever thought like oh this is going to be my career like when I was about 12 I wanted to be a film director but then I've since realized like all of the things that I wanted to actually do to be a film director was actually being a theater director <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> just I didn't know that that was a job yeah when I was 12 yeah um, who does yeah yeah because I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to like you know work with actors and I wanted mm. to do all these other things um but I don't you know know about cameras or <laughs> yeah. shot lists and yeah. the rest of the things that are involved with being a, a film director specifically whereas the the freedom of being a theater director was I think what I just had never really realized I wanted to do um, and, but you know, I wrote down on my like careers what I want to do when I grow up um, thing when I was twelve that I wanted to be a film director. Um, yeah, so I don't know drama. I think it's just it's one of those things that I kind of really really liked and just didn't want to give up all the way through high school. And then when I was coming to signing up for my degree, I kind of thought about it and was like, what's the thing that I would absolutely miss the most? Mm. Other than calculus, which I totally hated in year 13, and I don't know, you know, I took it because I thought I was good at maths, started the first term and was like, I give up, not going to bother, not even going to bother trying with this one. But all the rest of my subjects I really liked, and I kind of was working out what I wanted to do for uni, and was like, which of these things would I feel most, like, torn about Mm. not doing, I guess? Um, And it was drama and English. So I was like, okay, that's going to be <laughs> what I'll do. Mm. And law, which I also did just for one year and then quickly decided was not for me. But my brother I, is now the president of the Law Student Society and is about to graduate. So he's clearly the one that had yeah, the lawyer yeah. in <laughs> and not me. <laughs> the number of people, I think, particularly that I know, uh, myself included, that have gone through Victoria University and done law for one year. Yes. <laughs> it's enormous. I think and and a... that are kind of creative people or done BAs or whatever, but yeah. they've, and, you know, I, 
I can't say I threw myself at uh, studying law with with uh, anything that was going to get me any further than I got. Like, like I really didn't. I could have gotten into second year. Yeah, like, right. I sort of, I did, I did fairly well in my first year law, but I was just like, I could work. I'll be working so hard. Yeah. Absolutely hating it. Or I could do this yeah. other degree that I was already doing in my double degree, and it will be full of all these really exciting things that I'm really interested in. And I think I'd kind of done law purely because my family had been like, oh, you know, you've done really well in school, like you got top marks and you'd been, you know, gotten really, done really well academically in mm. high school, so maybe you should Yeah, do sort this. of the thing you're supposed to do yeah, to, and as I'm like, much oh, as anything. Yeah, I guess yeah. I should do a double degree. I'm like, I don't want to do a double degree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do law. Mm. Um, but I think it was kind of, a th- uh, yeah, I think at the sort of point when I dropped law was when I was like, no, this is what I'm doing for my career, is I guess I'm doing theatre. Um, and I kind of at that point, at some point during this degree, it kind of crystallised into, oh, I want to make theatre for my life, I guess. And I started my theatre company in third year, so I hadn't actually finished my, well, beginning of third year, um, so I hadn't even finished my degree yet when I started Red Scare, um, which is my theatre company. Uh, and that had kind of been purely because my friend Bruno and I had been working on another show where I was acting and he was music directing, and we'd gone to a party and we're just talking late at night. I think we like walked home and like were spending the whole time ch- talking about like, oh, he really wanted to compose mm. a musical and I was like oh I would love to write a musical but I don't know what he composes so we should work together we should do something um, and we just kind of had this great idea um, and then we had this idea for a show we ended up not doing and we ended up kind of doing a totally different one but then we wanted to produce it and so um, yeah it seemed like the most sensible thing to do would be to make our own theatre company so that we could put it on um, and we kind of just sort of went ahead and did it and mm. that's kind of been <laughs> and so that's but that, that, yeah. that's kind of grown and grown yeah um, it very much was the, the beginning of Red Scare was just us going oh I don't know we've got this like political satire musical mm. we should make a company for it probably we should register it or something so we made it a limited liability which now spent a lot many years trying to get out of because <laughs> that's not the actual structure of the company it's a non-profit mm. um, but we didn't really know what we were doing we were 20 <laughs> and um, then we yeah put this show on and got you know some pretty good reviews I think it was a fun show definitely not my best work mm. as a writer since and realized like oh you know there's some stuff that we really enjoyed from this and met some really good collaborators and some really awesome actors mm. um, Karen Anslow who was in that show Right Dishonorable uh, is currently in the show I'm directing now Four Nights in the Greenborough Pub so she's kind of I think this is her third or fourth Red Scare show mm. which is really exciting so there's some people that we worked with on that yeah, show yeah. that I'm still collaborating yeah, yeah. with now which is really cool yeah um, but it was very much like I don't know we just kind of throw this together I think yeah. we should do this and I think we should do that it was not really um, you know, thought through with a sense of like oh I've got this great ambition for making a theatre company and that's kind of evolved over the years um, so that now the shape of Red Scare looks very very different. I mean Bruno is over in the States um, doing his PhD so he's no mm. longer involved in the company mm. at all and um, my partner James who kind of came on board around end of 2016 after I came back from the US um, he's now sort of runs the other half of it but we've got a totally different company structure and we've got trustees and things that keep us in check <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, we sort of changed our whole thing so rather than just being like I don't know we should put a show on let's let's I don't know book a venue and work out what we're going to do um, we have a programming system now so we kind of program three shows every year and put those on um, which I think is something that I would kind of really picked up from theatres that I liked in the states and I was really interested in doing when I got back because it feels like there's a little bit more of 
intentionality to it. Like we were kind of talking mm. off mic before about mm. the idea of like an album, yeah, um, yeah, as opposed yeah. to just yeah, su- yeah. singles. And I think something about programming a season of shows is like putting an album out as opposed yeah, to just yeah, like yeah, releasing yeah. songs. Or, or um, that's right. Or curating an exhibition as opposed to yes. Making a painting, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like, Here's it's a the body of it's the body one. of work, or it's a season. Yeah. You know, it's a season. Yeah, and so yeah. yeah. Now we do we program seasons. As mm. I think feels like yeah, it's something slightly different in the way of working, and it means that it's not just based on my own output as mm. a as a writer director. Because I think a lot of people go like, oh, Red Scare is it like all Cassandra's shows? And I'm mm. like, no, like we did quite a lot of other sh- other people's shows, like our our productions this year. Um, so we had Mood Porn at the beginning of the year, which is written by Matt Loverains and was directed by James. And then the other two, The Aliens and Four Nights in the Green Barrow Pub, are both directed by me, but The Aliens is written by an American writer, Annie Baker, and um, Four Nights in the Green Barrow Pub is written by an Auckland-based writer mm. called Kieran Craft. Um, and both Mood Porn and Four Nights were sort of submissions from when we wanted to program the thing. We knew we wanted to do The Aliens, but we didn't really know what else we wanted to do mm. for our season for the year. Um, and we got these two plays sent in that we both fell in love with for different reasons. Um, and we're really sure we wanted to program that as a group. And it's kind of, it's good having that sense of like, oh, I don't have to be dependent on my own playwriting output to make a season like I don't have to be sitting here going oh if I don't write this show then I'm not going to have anything to put mm-hmm. on in the season like there are other things but at the same time you've well yeah. established a home for your work yeah it's if, like, if you have a burst <laughs> yeah that is there but it's also like like next year I've yeah. made a very specific like we haven't fin- finalised our programme for yeah. it but I've made like a but you've put a, the call out a yeah, while ago to, we've put the call yeah. out um, and we're, we're kind of in the process of reading submissions now mm. um, we've kind of got a couple of works that we've got on the back boiler that we're pretty sure we're going to put in um, but also I've decided I'm not going to do any directing next year because I want to kind of take a little bit of time off directing mm. after doing two shows this year to just focus on writing um, yeah I was going to say you can't write if you're busy doing yeah, that right I like, find like yeah. writing and directing exact same part of my brain mm. like very much the, to the creation thing like I can definitely write and act in something at the same time and I can direct and act obviously not the same project but yeah. I yeah. can be acting in another show and directing another show and that's easy to hold well, I mean, at once but I can't write and direct at the same time talk a bit about the <laughs> I, I feel like in terms of theatre, I, I, maybe it's a little bit the same with film, but more so with theatre, you are directing when you're writing and you are writing when you're directing. Like, they, there is there major is crossover, isn't crossover. there? Though I personally, like, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit outside the norm in that I really like writing and I really like directing, but when possible I like to separate them. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm really, I really love having someone else come in and direct my work and I really like to, yeah... Mm. Um, direct other people's work as opposed to my own because mm. I think my theory of it is um, that when you direct and write the same piece you can see like incredibly clearly from one angle and it's like I've got this yeah. beautiful two-dimensional picture yeah, and it's yeah. so clear but I'm not getting that 3D perspective of having someone else's eyes on it Yes. Um, so and I think just I've been really really lucky in that when I've had other directors come in to do my work so I had my play, uh, my musical Bloodlines in 2014, um, a good friend Erin Thompson um, came in and directed that piece. And then long ago, long ago, um, Laurie Lay came and directed that. That was like my first sort of um, non-musical piece that I had. It had music in it, but mm, there was no mm, singing. Mm. Um, and then uh, James directed Under um, with um, with Chris Green. This, uh, it was kind of a commission piece almost for him, like or inspired by him, I guess, as an actor. Uh, and then last year, um, Alec Draper came in and directed The Bone Thief, which is um, the musical that my friend Bruno and I wrote before mm. we moved over to the States. Mm. Um, 
and yeah each of those having a different director that really understood the piece and very much um like I felt like I could implicitly trust all of their choices and the choices they were making were really right for it I think it was so freeing because it's this thing of I've written this thing I'm gonna mm. let you go off and play with it and then I get to kind of come in at, at intervals during that process and just check in, I guess. But I never really felt it any, with any of those writers, with any of those directors, that I had to be like, no, I've got to put my foot down. You guys are doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. I want to control this. Because um, sometimes they would be like, oh, you know, like Laurie in particular, like had lots of, because she comes from a playwriting perspective herself, had lots of good, like, sort of ideas for like oh I don't know this this one scene like could you try like just cutting a couple of these lines is that would that be okay and I'm like yes um and we were very back and forth on the final edit of the script um and we ended up you know shaping it over the course of that thing but I, I thought it was so helpful having a director that mm. had that experience and had that separate perspective to make my work better um and it was all these things which, like, I would be like, this this line is essential if I had been writing and directing it myself. Going, like, well, this line's essential. Why isn't this scene working? Whereas somebody else can come in and be like, I think that line needs to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe that's it. Mm. Um, and I'm finding that the, the, my current show, Four Nights in the Green Barrow Pub, um, getting to work with Kieran, um, who's incredible, really awesome um, young writer who... Like, this is, I think, his first sort of full proper production with another director mm. coming in to, to do the work, um, to, to work on his work with him. Um, and has been really, really awesome to work with because we had like a whole day. I went up to Auckland for the day and we kind of talked through the play and all the characters and the themes that he wanted to explore and all the things that I was like, oh, this, I, I didn't quite understand this, but I needed a bit more clarity. And, oh, I really loved this, but I think we could kind of incorporate a bit more of this um, and he really listened and came back with a final draft for rehearsal and then in rehearsal we've kind of discovered a few things like oh maybe this change this word swap this word out or things like that that are all tiny little um, fidgeting bits mm. and he's been really really amenable to all of that and like you know has been like very very happy to kind of let me have some directorial control on it which has been really lovely it's, it's mm. great it feels great to have his trust um and i, I just really want to make sure i'm serving the play because <laughs> yeah because yeah. you have to establish that right because yeah. uh you're um experienced but you're you're young as well so yeah. like you know i imagine a person could bristle at being told this thing that they've put their heart and soul into yeah. needs work <laughs> you know yeah, it's, it's like being um i'm thinking about it it's kind of like the playwright gets reviewed by the director yes. before the play even comes out <laughs> then they suffer the next round of reviews and then, yeah. the, ne and then the next it's that sort of editing mm. that mm. editing process yeah, yeah, having yeah. An editor and if you don't trust your editor mm. then like you know you of course you're not gonna you're gonna be bristling going like ah oh, excuse me yes. like what are you doing yeah, yeah, yeah. my work is perfect yeah. Um, and you know, like if you're Samuel Beckett, then apparently you know yeah, your work yeah. is perfect, and nobody can ever improve on it. But like, be that as it may, most playwrights, I think, particularly younger ones and particularly mm. people that are working now, are a bit more open to mm. working with someone else and acknowledging maybe all of my thoughts aren't <laughs> immediately perfect on the page mm. in draft three. Um, and I, I always think it's really helpful having that director there if it's somebody that whose creative perspective you agree yeah. with yeah. Um, to to kind of bounce ideas off and and to have the opportunity to kind of expand your work. And it's been really awesome. Um, one of the things I sort of talked about when I first met with Kieran about this show was that there's a lot of Irish music written into it. Mm. And I was like, I really love this. I would like to put more into it. I think, like, 
um, there are some opportunities where we could add a few more songs and things like that. Would you be okay with that? And he was just like, yes, go for mm, it. So mm. Michael Stebbings, the music director, and I have had like a really awesome time um, adding in extra songs and I'd kind of chosen specific ones that I felt were really perfect for certain moments thematically as well as in terms of style. Um, so we've been kind of playing with a lot of stuff like that, which um, has been great. It means and we kind of get to add our own flavour in And that. you're staging this one in... Yes. basically in an Irish pub you're yeah. creating an Irish pub in a venue that's that, that is an Irish pub, pub yeah it is an Irish pub yeah, 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 yeah so we're upstairs in JJ Murphy and Co on yeah. Cuba Street which um is kind of an idea that I'd sort of had when walking through town I think mm. the end of last year when I was programming this play mm. and kind of walked inside and talked to the manager and was like could we do a show up here and he was like yeah mm. yeah yeah so totally fine totally fine um they've never done a show there before so we're trying to be like um you know, like help them understand exactly mm. what they're in for so mm. there's no surprises. So we're um, inviting all of the JJ Murphy staff to come see our dress rehearsal and yeah, things like yeah, that yeah. so they kind of understand what we're doing up there. Um, but it'll be a really, great, really it'll, it'll be it. a great space for it. Yeah. I mean, not just because of the theme of the play. Mm. Obviously, that's really great that, yeah. that it ties in. But, you know, I've been up there and uh, it was a few years ago now, but and I'm going to forget the name of the play, but it was a David Mamet play, Sexual Perversity in Chicago or something like that. Mm. Or, or a, a Great play, but mm. I, I've, I've botched the title. But that was set in, um, in the bar, the San Fran. And ah, they actually had it in and that they had bar, it the thing. and it was cool. Yeah. And, and there was really only about one or two scenes where they used the bar; like it could have been anywhere. Right. But just that idea of getting putting theatre in a different place. I just love you know? doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've had it in a few a few shows now. So this one obviously is very site specific, mm. and mm. it's it's perfect because the play itself was written to be just in this one main yeah. room of the pub. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it doesn't really take a huge amount. The only thing is just scene transitions and we're really using a lot of that extra added music to kind of show the passing of time and the, the changing of different spaces. Um, but we don't really have to worry about, you know, now we're in the bedroom, now we're in the, mm, you know, mm, it's mm. all just in this one room, which is, it's so perfect for it. Um, but we'd previously done a, a show under, which I'd written, um, at uh, Tuatara's The Third Eye bar, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, upstairs there, yeah. um, which has now been used for quite a lot of shows, which mm. I, I'm really excited about because I think we kind of mm. helped open the door for that because it had been, yeah. a, it's a music venue, obviously. Yes. But, but I've seen it can be a multi-purpose yeah. venue. Now yeah, that it's, yeah, yeah. it's been used for theatre, people are like, oh, we can use this yeah. for theatre, um, which yeah. is really cool. And it just felt so intimate being in that space. It was something very different about um, performing in there as opposed to in a theatre. Um, and I mean, my big, my honours project play, which I kind of did through Red Scare as well, uh, was in like an abandoned um, shop area uh, mm. next to next to like a dog daycare. On, mm. Um, mm. Uh, it's got like at the end of like Left Bank on yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Victoria Street. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was we kind of built this sort of maze of different spaces that people could walk through um, at different points in the show. So we kind of had part of it, a lot of it was in the main space but then there was a point where the group split off into two different endings I guess of the play and one mm. went around one way and one went around another way um and it was yeah it was really fun getting to work in there though the main problem was that, that it smelled like dogs every morning we'd come <laughs> in I'd have to like febreze the space to try to disinfect it to prevent it from smelling so bad <laughs> so that was had its own troubles yeah. um but it was very cool getting to do that it was with Urban Dream Brokerage who yeah. had done so much really interesting site specific work in Wellington and now I've moved to Dunedin, but <laughs> I hopefully it'll be great for them, their work to continue in some way here. But, well, you know, yeah. with all of that said, 
is because of what you're doing. You're a, you're a, uh, I guess a um, a theatre practitioner. Mm. Um, you are you. Is the goal to get like a show in one of the circa theatres or Hannah, you know, Playhouse or one of the the big purpose-built theatres? Is that is that sort of part of the goal and dream for you, or not really? Like, I if think it works, the, yes. I think but, the main thing with those spaces is purely just sort of audience capacity and yeah. just the the ability that you'd be able to have to fit more people yeah. in a space. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's really important, and sometimes it's not. Um, you know, I think there's a certain issue with theatre in Wellington at this stage where we, we kind of lack accessibility to those kind of mid-range mm, venues is where mm. I put in terms of capacity not in terms of quality but yeah, like yeah, yeah. Circa and Hannah Playhouse yeah. I think are kind of at that mid-scale yeah. where they've got bigger than 100 seats but yes. less than the Opera House yeah. um, but Hannah Playhouse is so expensive yes. that it is completely out of my price range right. as, yeah, a, yeah. as a small practitioner yeah. um, and they don't have any Luminaires or anything, yeah, 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 yeah. so you don't have. Yeah. You've got no lights. What are you going to yes, do? You bring everything in. That all yeah, in. yeah. Um, that's you know a, a problem in its own. And then Circa, they have their own programming model, which mm-hmm. like is awesome for them, and that's mm. how they're able to, you know, that's how they've operated since the seventies. But it means that if you aren't on the Circa Council, then you're competing for one of a few slots, which are you know in the yearly calendar. Um, so it's a little bit harder to get in there unless it's a, a remount of a previous work. Do they come and do they come and watch what you're doing? Do you get feedback from people like, I guess, members of the Circa Council? We've had quite a few Circa Council people come to different shows. Mm. Like we and, and we've been we have been programmed in there before. We got programmed for Movers last mm-hmm. year. Um, oh yeah, that's season, right. Yes, yes. Um, which sadly had to yes. be had to be cancelled yeah, due right. to an actor injury. Yeah. Um, but we. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it, it's, I think because of the way their, their funding model works, they often need to program shows which have already happened once. Yes. And so often, you know, if we come and pitch a new thing, yeah. it's quite it's quite a big risk for them to take on a new show. And because of the way we work, we really like to be doing new shows rather than mm, just mm, mm. creating a show and then... Oh, yeah, I'm just I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they're the be-all and end-all. No, I'm just curious about how that all yeah, works yeah, 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 yeah. and, you know, what their obligation is to fostering I guess I guess um up-and-comers like yourself like your company I mean yeah and I think they are interested in in mm. trying to get more especially like the younger people Mm. and people of color and the other other reason I ask is the other reason I ask is uh I guess mood porn could have worked there but also particularly watching aliens I was just like I loved where it was I love where you put it like that was another great Mm. use of a small theatre <laughs> no but creating a space yeah. that I mean we felt like um, in the best possible way we kind of felt like eavesdroppers and it felt about as yeah. na- a natural as so I got that that's what that was about mm. but while I was watching it I was also going fuck I'd love to see this at Circa just because yeah. get more people to it you yeah. know like, I think that was the big yeah. thing with Aliens I was like absolutely loved that show I think yeah. there's those three actors in particular but also the design team mm. um they all did a really stellar, outstanding job. I was really, really thrilled with how it turned out on an artistic level. But working in the Tafaya space, which we were mm. in, 
was quite hard for, oh, for yeah, sales, yeah, as, yeah. As particularly, um, yeah. just not being in the city. Um, no, that's right. You're, you're, you're a bus ride or a car yeah. ride for a and lot of people. So, and we had such great word of Finding the so actual... It felt like, <laughs> yeah. I would imagine some people would struggle to find the yeah. actual theatre within the building. If you, if you don't know it, building. Yeah. Yeah. we had to have yep. signs going like, Everywhere. this is where you are. Left, yeah. go right, go left now yeah. again, go left again, and then right. And right. some people think that's probably quite cool. And then the other people that just be like, <laughs> oh, I can't like, be Oh, no, I can't be Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was a thing where I feel like the word of mouth was so good that mm. all of the, the theatre people came to it, mm. but the rest of the people <laughs> didn't really come, yeah. the general public yeah. they just don't walk past and see no, it no, no, so um, whereas well, being in a hard, central city, it's a hard happen. sell even for, yeah. you know, your circus and stuff too, isn't it, yeah. like, to, to constantly be expanding that audience I, I want to, um Let's talk through this year's program yeah. in a little bit more detail. Like, well, we started with Aliens, but let's go back to Mood Porn and yeah. go through the three because I'm going to come and see the third one and I saw the other two. Yeah. So I want to know, I mean, I want to know a little bit more about how you came to each work and, yeah, sure. and if you want to reflect a bit on them because the two plays that I saw were excellent. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know? Um, so Mood Porn, uh, so Matt Loverains, yeah. the writer of Mood Porn, um, is a really, really good friend. He and I were in the same university year together, yeah, yeah. Um, and he and James are my partner, and I are all sort of like very close and have worked together for quite a lot, uh, yeah. of quite a lot of different shows. Um, and he had been talking about how he'd been written, he'd written this play, and we knew that it had gotten an Asian Inc. Um, uh, workshop thing, had been selected for it, uh, and he'd I think gotten. I think before 25 or something else, maybe I might be I might be incorrect there, but he definitely had Asian Ink. Mm. Um, and we knew that it existed. We'd have been like, Matt, can we read it sometime? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm gonna, I want to keep, I wanna keep mm. editing it. And then when we opened the submissions, we were like, Matt, you should submit your play because you want to get your play produced. He was like, oh, yeah, maybe when does it close? And so he sent it in at like 11.50 p.m. or something mm. on the last, <laughs> the last possible day. So mm. it was the very last thing that we got in. Um, and up, upon reading it, it's one of those things where I was like, ah, Matt, you're so annoying to me. Like, I, I hope it's bad so that we don't program it. And I read it, it's like, damn it, it's really good. <laughs> um, just because, you know, like, you get that, they were like, I keep telling you to submit it. Why did it take you a full month to, <laughs> to edit it? Um, but I really felt like something about the language of it, the tension and just the emotional nuance and the complexity between these two characters felt so interesting and so dynamic, um, and I could instantly picture it. It, it, was, it was just very theatrical, which mm. is something that I'm always drawn to, um, is I, this was not a movie, this is a play, this mm. is not a book, this is a play. Um, and I think that's always something that I find really exciting. And I think, um, yeah, like we'd sort of had an idea from reading it, like who, what kind of actors um, we thought would be good with it, James and I, because um, we, when Matt originally submitted it, he was he had pitched it at slightly as slightly younger characters. He'd pitched them as kind mm. of mid to late twenties, um, and I was reading it going like this character has to be like thirty five plus. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Something about that was that was kind of our main thing when we talked to him was like I think actually that yeah the the characters read older on the page, and mm. I think embracing that would be really good, and that was something that was quite exciting I think for us to put together. It felt like there was this lived in relationship and this this length of time got that had gone between these people not seeing each other. Yeah, it was, yeah. Was and so interesting. Moved you out of your some of your regular cast of Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, like we people one of you our, think of, you know. One the, of our things with Red Scare is that I'm really, really pro open auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, I often have people come to me going like, "How did you find this person?" Mm. And I'm like, "I auditioned, I advertised, and people came." Mm. Um, and I feel I kind of get slightly annoyed that that's not the norm in yeah. Wellington theatre because yeah, yeah. so many people just cast their friends, and I'm like, I love my friends. I have lots of talented friends, but they don't need to get all the roles. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are other people that, um, yeah, like that haven't done something like this before that would be really good mm. and you know I'm uh, I think like every show I've done has had like at least one if not much more cast members that I've never worked with before which is really exciting mm. um, but I think the thing with mood porn is that if you have it as a, as a show with about 220 somethings then it kind of becomes it almost trivialises yes. the issues of it and the depth of their relationship a little bit not that I want to say like People's, everyone's problems at 25 are bad <laughs> are not important mm. but I think there is um, a more it heightens the tragedy and it heightens the yeah. the bittersweetness of yeah, well, having lived a life and, I mean I'm, you know, I'm, I'm closer yeah. in age to the, the kind of target of those characters yeah. and, and I felt probably from the opening monologue or certainly just after mm. you know wow this is a profound piece of work and yeah. it was giving me flashbacks to all of those things you were saying about the kinds of theatre that you love that is just theatre. You know it's theatre. Like, yeah. like I thought to like some 20 years earlier seeing a David Hare play called Skylight and I went, oh yeah, you I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, there's something about, if I read them back to back, they wouldn't be the same, but there was something that took me, just the two characters yeah. and the dynamic between them, there was something that took me back to that. But as much as I was having those sort of flashbacks, I was actually just thinking back, to myself and the people I knew at university mm. in my life and going, yeah. man, there's some things in this that line up, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it was amazing. And I think, like, at, yeah. you know, at 26, which is my age, like, you're already kind of at that stage where you think back to first year uni and yeah, go, yeah, like, yeah. oh, there are people, I was a very different person when I was 18 than I am mm. now, but I would only imagine that in 10 years' time, then looking back again at being 18, mm. there's this, this depth of experience that you've gone through, and I, I felt like... It was really important having actors like Heather and Ali that had that, um, mm. yeah, that weight and experience of of slightly being being a little bit more mature. That really helped that play. Um, and I think yeah, there's something about the two hander. Mm. I know that um, mm. Matt, I think very much specifically gave himself the restriction of I'm going to write two characters in a room because. I think sometimes, you know, when you've got the world, it can be scarier and harder yeah, to start. Yeah. It can be like, oh my god, I could do anything. I'm paralyzed. I'm going to do nothing. So I think giving himself those restrictions was a really useful thing to start writing the play. Mm. Um, and I think it really paid off because it becomes this this thing where you've got so much action and so much tension and so many um, really interesting nuanced moments that can occur when you've got two people in a room, which you can't really get in another medium I think like there's nothing as exciting about two people talking or two people mm. you know interacting I guess there's <laughs> definitely more than talking in that play yeah. but, <laughs> um, but there's something that's really theatrical about just that meeting of two people um, and all of the drama and tension that goes behind that, that mm. moment um, yeah so I guess that's the really awesome thing about mood porn I mean I also just it was very very cool like team to work with I mean Lucas Neal how is our our uh, set designer on that and Tony Black who did the lighting yeah. are both people we've worked with quite a lot yeah. and it was really exciting for them to get a chance to kind of you know outdo themselves yeah, yeah. on that it was just such a beautiful beautiful 
and, um, and, that's, and that was a cool room yeah. for it to be in because the skylight thing, the giant, the, you know, that almost felt like yeah. you, you, that it's was so part regal. of the set design or it's something. It's a gorgeous yeah, yeah, regal yeah. space. The dome yeah. theatre is just yeah. beautiful. I've actually, I don't think we've done a Red Scare play in the random stage, the downstairs. Oh, yeah, we yeah. always do something in the dome because yeah, yeah. almost every time I'm like, but the dome would be better. Um, <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, and I think that was just exciting for James to, to get to work with as well because his his um, directorial background as well is very much um, interest in actors and mm. in um, mm. yeah playing with those nuances mm. and I think yeah he did a very good job working with just those actors to kind of tease out this performance and um, make the um, all the subtleties of it um, kind of come together. Well, was in, I remember because I interviewed Heather for the podcast yeah. before the show and she was talking about you know intimacy coaching and things like yeah. you know like it, and it was good yeah. we, we it was one of the things that we'd sort of talked about and we ended up i'm really glad we did was getting james kiesel in mm. to do intimacy direction for that mm. show um because there is like some fairly graphic sex scene stuff yeah. in that which like i think would have been sort of it either could have gone to the extent of being kind of quite dangerous and unsafe yes. emotionally without a person that's got that skill or um been you know just kind of not really rung true and kind of looked a yeah bit so, something like that can almost um almost turn a very serious thing into nearly slapstick yeah, yeah. you don't want it to turn yeah. sort of farcical that's right yeah and yeah. i think yeah once you get to to action that goes beyond like just kissing or mm. that kind of level of stuff then it can if it, if it doesn't have the the level of the right kind of um training going into the creating of it it just doesn't work um and i was really glad that we were able to get somebody that had that training in um particularly because it's starting it's only just sort of started to be a thing the idea of having an intimacy director mm, mm. as like kind of equivalent to a fight choreographer i was gonna um, say yeah it's like a stunt or fight yeah yeah, yeah totally um, <laughs> and it's there's there's quite a few people kind of uh doing training for it now in mm. the city and I, hopefully more and more um laurie who i mentioned before mm. who did long ago long ago i know she's either in the process of or just just completed um uh, doing some training as an trained intimacy director and James who, had, who we had for this um, James Kiesel trained over in the States mm. um, and where they, they kind of developed it um, but I really hope that people continue to, to learn how to do it because it is such a important necessary skill and particularly now that we you know I think for a long time there's the sense of like oh theatre like there's no sort of like um yeah, like, there's the sexual harassment doesn't apply in theatre because, like, we're all just, like, um, comfortable in our mm. bodies and rolling around. Mm. It's like, actually, it's way worse when you're in yeah. a situation where you actually are required to kiss your co-worker. Mm. Like, that's a... There needs to be more boundaries set and have more sense of, like, what's okay and when we ask permission and, you know, what the um, the codes are for mm. yes and no and the rest of it um, in order to create a safe environment. And I think one of the things I'm really... Yeah, really insistent on um, and try to kind of focus on for all my shows is, is making sure that the room feels really safe um, and everybody feels supported. And that's, yeah, I think kind of just a really important thing for me foundationally. Mm. Yeah. And what's Matt doing uh, writing-wise after that? Like how, I don't know what he's he up got, to, actually. Has he got anything in the can? Because I hope it, so. It, it I don't was a really amazing piece of writing. It's a wonderful play. I, th yeah. I hope he does some more stuff yeah. soon. Um, yeah, yeah. At the moment, well, we're technically working on a show together um, for the Fringe Festival, but we're kind of keeping a little bit under wraps at the moment mm -hmm. until the Fringe program comes out. But that's going to be a little bit more of a collaborative piece because it's, yeah, it's not really a show. Okay. I don't know. It's yeah. a it's a it's a performance project. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but all yeah, James and, and Matt, Matt and I are working on it together. And the response to mood porn, the the success of it, or whatever, yeah. like how, how was that? 
you know, did it go well for you guys? Yeah, I, yeah. I felt like it, on an artistic level yeah. it just was so successful. I, and I felt the same with, with Aliens as well, that both of them, mm. the reviews and both the critical response and just audiences, mm, mm. Um, just talking to people after the show, uh, that both of them were really, really well received, which is really what you want. Um, and just the, the, the breadth of the praise given, I think, is, interest, is, is really good. Like, I, I love you know, one reviewer pointing out this particular actor, another reviewer pointing out this particular actor, mm. one reviewer pointing out the design elements, and one mm. reviewer talking about the writing and just focusing on all those different things. And the fact that for both those shows, I think all of the elements were praised um, is really fantastic. It mm. kind of gives you the sense of like, great, we've kind of worked as a team and as a collective and made mm. a really good show. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think for the Aliens, it was a, a similar situation. I mean, I've kind of really talked about it, but I felt like I don't think I would change anything in terms of how it... No, I thought it was great. We'd, how did you... I mean, I knew... Um, I know a little bit about Annie Baker and her work mm. and already, and as soon as I saw it was announced, I was like, great. And I think it awesome. was the first yeah. production of one of her plays in New Zealand. So we ended up technically being the second. That's because right. Because the there flick was... happened on the exact same night, yeah. half an hour before us, in uh, down Dunedin. in Dunedin. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of the co And do you know, do you know that play, things. The Flick? Because I've read yeah. that script. It's beautiful. So The Flick is the first one of Annie Baker's plays mm. that I've read. Um, mm. And I really like... Same. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like The Flick. I didn't feel like... I was in love with the flick. I really right. liked it, but it was like, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, I get this. I worked at the, my first job was at a cinema, so yeah. I very identified with the Avery, the younger character plenty of, in that. Plenty of, um, <laughs> plenty of unused cinemas and Wellington exactly. just staged I mean, though. like, honestly, if I was going to put that <laughs> yeah. on here, I'd be like, all right, yeah. <laughs> let's get into readings. Yeah, yeah. Like, stuff me damned. <laughs> um, but, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd sort of been like, oh, yeah, this is very well crafted. I, can, I like it on an intellectual level, I think, more than an emotional um, then when I read The Aliens, I, I yeah. felt like there was something so... That struck me on such an emotional level with that play, as well as an intellectual one. And I think I'm very emotionally driven mm. as a as a director and as a programmer. Like, I feel like something has to kind of grip me by the heart um, for me to be like, yes, I am doing this and I want to direct it. Mm. And so when I read that, it was probably 2015 or so that I read The Aliens, I think. Um, and I sort of knew at once like oh wow this is something that I wanted I want to direct someday um and it just sort of it's one of those things where every time I reread it it would slightly change like I'd understand something slightly more or my experience of um KJ and Jasper particularly would would shift slightly mm, mm. um I think like I identified so strongly with Evan as like a young person that didn't feel particularly like they fit in very well with their peers when mm. they were in high school and was a little bit socially awkward or on the edge um, of, you know, kind of the friend group. I was definitely not a very popular person in high school. Um, finding this kind of group of, you know, kind of weird indie out there mm. people. Um, mm. And I definitely had that similar experience when I was kind of, you know, sixth, seventh form, where suddenly I met people that, you know, were cool and interesting yeah, yeah. and for some reason didn't mind me hanging around with them and I'm yeah. like I don't know who these people are um, and you know I'm not really in touch with any of them <laughs> at this point in my life but um, just having that experience of like ah oh, like I, there are these other friends and they go to different schools and these schools are much more like progressive than my very old-fashioned high school mm. um, <laughs> and there's all these other exciting things I could do um, I, I very much identified with that character um, and yeah there was something about that that I just really, really wanted to do. And I was very interested in just the concept of a female writer that writes men with such mm. um, empathy and knowledge, um, because I think 
yeah, I find writing men quite interesting as a playwright, and I think there's something about the way that Annie writes male characters um, that I sort of felt like, oh, I understand mm. this, because this is also how I feel like I would write men. Like, I'm like, I love men. Men are great. Mm, but mm. also, like, here is other things that I think women can sometimes see about men that men can't necessarily see about themselves because of just the way that culture is positioned. Well, she had that way of... Yeah. She has that way of... Uh, you know, pointing out without overtly pointing out, but pointing yeah. out flaws without making the character an ogre. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot it's of such... a lot of men in theatre, and there's no reason why this mm. can't happen. It's quite good to to mm. show ogres, but a lot of men in theatre that are flawed bec- almost end up becoming the caricature of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's the like, monster. Yeah, and it's like that can be totally like mm. what do you think? I mm. mean, like. Me and James wrote Milady like a few years ago, which is like a, a satire about pickup artists. Right, yeah, and it's yeah. very much like the idea is it's, it's mm. about laughter, it's about mm. making fun of these really awful misogynist guys. Mm. Um, but I think there's there's a really really interesting thing in looking at empathy and with a kindness yeah. towards people who are really trying their best, but are flawed people um, and you know have limits and don't entirely. Um, yeah, don't entirely see everything. I'm completely self-aware in, every, in, in all the ways that the, the yeah. planet is aware of them. It's interesting what you were saying about, because I, I haven't read the script of Aliens yet, but mm. seeing the play made me want to. Like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, scr- I'm a script yeah. reader. Like, I'm not a, an actor. I've never been an actor. Mm. Um, but for some reason, I like reading scripts. Which I, is interesting, because in, there are yeah. not many people that fall into that category. I know, yeah. I know. And, I, and I've <laughs> t- anyone I've talked to who's either an actor or a director or whatever, a lot of them will even say they don't like writing script, reading scripts. <laughs> You know, I love a, reading scripts. Yeah, yeah. But yeah no, I mean, no, I'm a playwright, so I, it's <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, I get the, I got the empathy on the page of the flick. But mm. I wonder, you know, it's interesting what you're saying. Like thinking about it, yeah, it would be hard to put that across mm. on the stage. Whereas the, the empathy. Well, you did such. You obviously saw it when you read it in the script yeah. of Aliens because you did such a good job of getting the right people and putting them in the right place and and having them deliver it because it was so palpable. And I think it was just the the intelligence of those actors, Mm. just all three of the actors for the aliens. were just, just felt just, like perfect casting, right? It was perfect. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, this yeah. is one we auditioned for, but I had kind of a little bit of a sense of who we were going to cast from seeing names on the audition. Right. Like I had, you know, yeah. Jack, Sergeant Shepard, um was in uh, The Intricate Art of Actually Caring, obviously. It was kind of his big breakout mm. thing. Mm. I saw that when I was 17, and that's kind of one of the points where I was like, oh, theatre is what I want to do for my life. Mm. Mm. Like, when I was kind of at that coming into yeah, right. my degree. Cool. Um, and it was just this play that spoke to me on this level. And, mm. I, you know, I've reread it since then, and it is definitely one that has aged and, like, doesn't quite have the resonance that it had for, yeah. for a teenage me. Yeah. But in some ways, I think that's so. what's so good about it is that it was specifically talking to that young person, to mm. these young people, and saying, like, you know, I understand you, I empathise with your kind of existential fears <laughs> um, and what life is like for you. Um, and I think, yeah, something about seeing two actors that were really, really good. And it was this weird thing. I was trying to find, like praise for each of the actors and mm. previous shows that they are done because I always need to do mm. that for marketing mm. and like putting together funding applications and I was like I can't find any good praise for Jack from this this show even though I know he was outstanding in it mm. and there's all these praises and they all just say like oh the writing is so good and like the, the guys are kind of playing themselves and I'm like no they're not they're just so good at acting mm. Mm. that they are able to convince you that they think that you that you think that they're acting as themselves mm. when in fact like <laughs> they're they're playing totally different people 
Um, and it's it's just that if you are on that level of naturalism, in some ways, directors and or like um, reviewers might not even realise mm. like what a what a what a distance you're going to get to that level of naturalism. Um, they're just kind of like, oh, I guess they're just playing. I don't know. Like they just it seems pretty normal. <laughs> yeah, and you have to see. <sighs> yeah, you have to see someone in at least a couple of roles yeah. to really they're like. Oh, they're playing a different thing. <laughs> always, it, it, I mean, it's it, it sounds naive, but I love. It just happened the other week seeing uh, a guy at Circa who I'd seen in one other play mm. and just going, fuck, comp- like completely yeah. different, whole new sets. Of, I mean, of course, he would have whole new sets of mannerisms as a new character. It's a different play, but, but it's you still. Say of course, but not, not the same for all actors. Like, that's right. I was going to say, do, do, do have their tropes, yeah. do have their fallbacks, and, and when, you get, when you get familiar with someone just as they're getting familiar with the work. Mm. When you see them over and over, yeah, things do start to bleed. Yeah. And I think it was just one of those things where each of those actors, yeah, were able to do a specific type of character mm. that on that naturalist level without having to kind of show off their tricks so much, um, without having to be acting and be yeah. that, that slightly different height and stage thing, be able to strip all of that away. Um, and Johnny and Drew as well, just like really phenomenally pitched performances. Yeah, um, yeah. It was just really wonderful to get yeah, a chance no, to I love, these people. I absolutely loved yeah. it. And um, I went away on holiday straight out the day after seeing it. Otherwise, I would have gone to it again. You know? like, I, ser- I seriously <laughs> oh, would have you. liked to. And that doesn't happen very often. Mm. But I wanted to go and see it again. And yeah. I Particularly if you saw opening night where we had the Stuart Tango Festival people. Oh, yeah, us, yeah, which, yeah. Oh, yeah. That pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is the quietest play. <laughs> Please <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> stop dancing. Um, but yeah, that's just the thing of the glories of sharing a space with yeah. some people that <laughs> yeah. have booked the entire yeah. upstairs area. Yeah. So you finish off <laughs> so you finish off this year's season with um, a show that's still to come that we've, yeah. we've talked about a little bit already. Which we're but, Fortnite's but, in the Green Barrow pub. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the one that's gonna be in the pub. Yes. Um, so this one is just one of those pieces. This is actually the first one that got submitted for our mm, season. So mm. we've got on one side Matt, 11.59pm or whatever. Kieran <laughs> saw the thing. I will send you my play now. <laughs> um, so thanks, Kieran. Love that. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it absolutely pulled me on an emotional level. Um, and I think, yeah, when I talk about programming from the heart, this is absolutely the, the core of that. It's the story of this young man, Dara, who has inherited a pub from his father, who inherited it from his father, um, and they're kind of in, we've, we've set the play in County Roscommon, which is kind of central Republic of Ire, um, and it's fairly rural, small town, uh, and he is trying to run the, the pub in the same way his dad did, as best as he can, while also struggling with the fact that he is out as a gay man mm. but isn't really living out he's not really being his authentic self he's kind of struggling in the shadow of what his father's expectations were for him and his interesting quite you know not particularly healthy relationship that he had with his father where his father was was not very um was kind of very forbidding was quite dominate dominating um and had a very sense of big strong sense of tradition and what life should be like um and so he's kind of Dealing with all that when a, a young traveller who is um, from New Zealand comes in um, and kind of, yeah, makes him sort of shift his perspectives. 
Um, and so that's Arad, who's played by Alex Rubina, who was in Yellowface, our show, uh, two years ago. So it's really nice to have him back in the Red Scarefold as well. Uh, um, but it's just this play that it reminds me of a lot of the types of film that uh, there's a certain sort of film which I'm like, I see and I love and my mum sees and she loves and like my neighbours see and they're like things like Sing Street mm-hmm. it's strong of that or like Once or like a lot of different kind of like British uh, <laughs> like heartwarming sorts of like indie films like that's like indie and like you're, British indie you're, filmmaking you're also referencing films that have a very strong music connection yes. but, but aren't quite a musical yeah they exactly. don't fall over into the folly of musical yeah there's, or what, there, there or isn't the um the, that broad theatrical yes, kind yeah. of um yeah sort of stylistic yeah. thing that you get from from regular musical theater and this yeah. is very much not musical theater like all of the the music that happens in it um, but music's a bigger component than just score yeah, yeah. it's a bigger component it, than just it is a character but it's it's not like we're now i'm not going to sing a song yeah about my yeah, yeah yeah um, yeah it's yeah. not that sort of regular type of musical theater trope yeah. um so yeah it kind of straddles that line and i think there's just something so um there's something so winning and charming and beautiful about the way all of these characters are constructed it's one of those things i read it off the page and i could instantly imagine everything about these characters i understood them mm. on such a personal level as like oh this is people that i know there's people that i've met these are my friends these are my grandparents these are my you know um and i think that's a real a sign of a, of a playwright that is able to do that particularly with like a fairly i want to say large cast it's six people but <laughs> for a red scare show that's I was gonna say, that's, larger that's, cast. it's twice as much as the, um, the exactly. last one it's twice so. as much as the last one three times as much as the first one <laughs> there you go um so you don't have like you know something like mood porn you've mm. got these long monologues mm. for everybody to kind of tell themselves talk mm. about their characters whereas here there are kind of some smaller snippets for us to get a sense of these characters mm. and their wider life and we've actually added additional characters um because we have a band that is on stage for the entire show as yeah. well and yeah. each of those band members we're working on how to integrate them into the scene because they are you know they're not yeah, like yeah. in a band pit they are people yeah. that are hanging out in the pub mm. um and they get referenced by name a couple of times and they have you know some really beautiful like solo moments as well mm. And so it's it's introducing this whole ensemble cast of characters that feel so lived in and so real um, and so charming. And <laughs> it's just, um, it's one of those things where I'm like, I feel like, I feel like I really defy pe- anyone to like come out of this show and just like, I hated that. That was terrible. Like, it's mm. just one of those ones where it's like just disarming. It's very disarming, I think. Um, yeah. And I feel, I feel like, I mean, obviously I haven't seen this play, yeah. but, um, cause it hasn't happened yet, but mm. the other two, and you were talking about the sort of the umbrella notion of programming, like creating yeah. <clears throat> a, 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 a three works that are separate, but there's a reason why mm. you've chosen them. And obviously there's a lot of, um, unspoken, uh, unspoken kind of moments breaks between the lines that yeah. hint at um, not just sexuality and mm. identity and how people are awkward and who they are, but, but being sort of haunted slightly by the baggage of their previous yeah. selves. I think that's 100% a thread, a common thread mm. for all three of these. Like, mm. mood porn, it's very explicit almost. Yes. It's kind of the main yeah. theme of it. Yeah. But obviously it carries on into Aliens as well. Yeah, yeah. There is this sense of, and I mean, and it's no more spoilers s- for the people, but the yeah, yeah. act is hugely about that. Yes. And then I think that's also a, a prevailing theme in Grebera Pub as well, because it's this whole, the sense of the father 
of they just call him mm. Da throughout mm. the whole thing, but Da's presence looming over the pub of both Dara and his sister Ashling, who is she's a lesbian, she's like lives over in Dublin with her partner and mm. is very um not interested in living in the rural small town, just kind of in for a visit. Mm does not like being back home and is kind of, she just cannot understand why Dara possibly wouldn't just move move away, just sell the pub and move away. Yeah. And she doesn't understand what ties he has that kind of keep him in that place. Like, she's just very much like, I hated my dad, like, we both hated our dad, like, let's just leave, like, why are you still here? Yeah. Um, and she's very much like, I will cut free from this shadow, I'm happy to, like, go off and and to the point where almost protesting too much that she's no longer influenced by the parents, um, whereas he's so burdened by this sense of, like, legacy and, oh, I have to uphold what my father wanted, mm. even though I can't really be the person he wanted me to be, I can at least run the pub in the way that he wanted me to run the pub. Um, and that's, yeah, I think this sense of, like, history and legacy and memories um, and those ghosts of the past, I think are kind mm. of it's present in all three of their plays and I think it's, it's just something that's so interesting because it's something that everybody has um, and that you can explore in theatre and in, in art um, in such a interesting way and in such different modes because each of the plays have such a very different stylistic mm. thing like mm. Green Barrow is I would say like kind of a bittersweet more comic like comedy I would say probably closer to comedy than the other two <laughs> like yeah. not that it's a funny like, ha the whole yeah, way yeah. through but it's kind of yeah bittersweet drama comedy um whereas yeah mood porn is much more like height more heightened drama mm. and the aliens is this kind of naturalist almost like um slice of life like thing yeah well drama it, and comedy that's yeah. right i mean that that's the thing i think i love about um annie baker mm. the work that i'm familiar with is that they feel like short stories that just yeah. happen to be being presented as drama. Yeah. You know, like they have that slice of life, life open-endedness, more um, questions than answers. Yeah. yeah. I think she would be a very good short story writer if she mm. put her attention to that. You should read, by the way, um, John. Oh, okay. Is, um, my favourite Annie Baker play. Okay. Uh, which, that was, she was actually one of the resident playwrights at Signature when I started working there mm. in New York, and that was the first play I saw at Signature. Well, I was going to um, say is that was I, I, like, ah. <laughs> I, was, I was saving it until we talked about it. Yeah. When you first, when you were talking about New York, I was like, is that where you kind of discovered Annie Baker? Yeah, so I'd kind of so, discovered her already, but yeah, when yeah. I knew that she was a resident playwright yeah. at Signature, I yeah. was like, okay, I'm applying here, and I was incredibly <laughs> yeah. excited about getting the, yeah. Yeah, getting the internship there because it meant that I got to go and see that, um, and it's just... wow. And in terms of stories about ghosts haunting people, mm. like that's very much about the concept of a ghost story. Okay. Um, but you know, being Annie Baker, there are no ghosts. No ghosts appear. Yeah. But there are other things that happen. And there's the sense of being haunted by things from the past, being trying to let go of previous. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, a couple in a relationship where there have been previous sins in the relationship trying to move on but being very much tethered to this unspoken mm. like we're not going to talk about you cheating on me so do you, <laughs> um, kind do of you think do you, are you yeah. are you thinking of doing anything else of hers i don't think can? we probably would yeah. uh not in next season yeah, right. um, yeah. but i i mean i think yeah john is particularly one that i'm like as an actor very drawn to there's mm. a role that i'm like oh i would be really good at that role <laughs> um so i kind of want somebody else to direct it for me to yeah 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 but um I'm hoping that she's going to kind of have a bit of a Wellington scene here now because yeah, well, so I'm many just, people saw that the, play and were yeah. like, ah, oh, that was awesome. The other thing I was really, so, yeah. I really flashed back to watching The Aliens was um, probably about 15 years ago or so, a Neil LeBute play went mm. on in Wellington and I was a fan of his 
the film adaptations and, and, and some of the scripts. And then over, a, I don't know, maybe it was four or five years, but it felt like over two or three, there was about half a dozen of his plays. And yeah. I was like, this is great, this is great. And and I sort of had that moment watching this. I was like, well, I could watch Nanny Baker play every <laughs> three <laughs> or six years? months yeah, or yeah. whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or once a year, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of it's happened a little bit with over at Circa Florian Zeller. Um, mm, yeah, I was going to say he's the, yeah. And then I think yeah, the lie happened after that, and I think there's been talk of the other Florian Zeller pieces. There's there's, there's um, um, one yeah. happening next year, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, Lucy Kirkwood, the same. Yeah. The children yeah. made such an impact that yeah, that like, was amazing. Oh, we should program more of her stuff, which um, is I think really good. So. Hopefully, Annie Baker is um, one, of on the, the radar. one of the people that's now <laughs> yeah. on the radar. It's this weird thing where somebody can be famous in America, that's right, but not at all famous in New Zealand. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I forget because I, I'm very like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm very my my tw- my Twitter scrolling is often <laughs> well, we, my Twitter. I guess <laughs> so I, we, we have an obligation here too to yeah. um, to foster and showcase our own writers yes. in theatre, right? And so I think there's been so that's, a, that means yeah. it's harder for us to... Also be, celebrate internationals. Also, exactly. Yeah. Like, and I think like it's important to make sure that it doesn't... The, the metronome doesn't swing too far mm, one way or the other. Mm. Um, like I think I, know, I sort of talk to some older practitioners sometimes who are very against doing international work because they kind of mm. growing up at this state where everyone did an international. That's right. It was yeah, yeah. the only thing that you did. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember talking to David O'Donnell saying, he's saying like, you know, oh, I didn't get to speak my own accent on stage for the first 10 years or something. Yeah, it's yeah. his career. Um, yeah. Because nobody was doing New Zealand work. And then it gets to the point where New Zealand work is kind of like so huge and it, it's no longer unusual for something to be a New Zealand play. It's mm. now in fact kind of almost standard for that to be the case. And mm. so I think we're now at the position where we can kind of do a mix of both and you know that's what we try to do with our programming is have yeah. a mix of both of them um but i think it's that thing where because there was such backlash to new zealand work there are some people that are very like ah oh, i don't know why you'd possibly do international yeah. things yeah, or, yeah yeah you know um and so it's sort of just getting a sense of that balance and keeping mm. it there it's in the same with um devising versus script writing as well yeah, yeah. because script writing was the only way to do things for so long devising then becomes this um new way of making work but then I think the pendulum swings slightly to the point where yes. devising is now probably slightly more dominant in a lot of ways than more traditional scripted stuff. And then scripts, you need to, you know, also mm, foster mm, those. Mm. Um, it's just keeping that balance because they're both such really interesting ways of making theatre. Yeah, yeah. Now you, <laughs> about an hour ago, you mentioned you mentioned musical theatre. You've referenced it a couple of times since, but when, yeah. you first, when you first said it, you said it in the way that... You talked about it in your life, and you said it in the way that people might use words like jazz or poetry, right. or jazz poetry. Um, in <laughs> jazz that, poetry. Yeah, and uh-huh. that you you uh, you're aware that it's not for everyone. Oh yeah. But and that it, it's it, it has its well, own nerd subculture around it. I would say music. There there is musical theatre for everybody. That's right. But, but <laughs> like you have to find your specific thing. That's right. Um, so how did you? Yeah. So how did you first come to that? And what has been so inspiring about? You know, why did you get hooked? Like I think that just for a starter, like most of. Um, my experience is watching theatre as a kid like I very much was a theatre going kid growing up like mm. I kind of had that background already throughout my childhood and most of that was musicals um, and so I'd kind of grown up with that as a big part of my life mm-hmm. um, and I think just being a person that's very interested in music and very interested in theatre I think marrying <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. it just seems kind of like a no brainer in some ways um, I'm like the type of music that I like generally is often very narrative based mm-hmm. like I really love being able to use a, 
a storytelling, um, using music as a storytelling method. I think the thing that I find really exciting about musical theatre um, is the ability that it has to tell like layered narratives at once because your lyrics tell one story, your music tells another story which can complement or contradict your lyrics. Mm. And so having those two things together mirrored at once, that kind of creates an, a third voice almost mm, that's, mm. that's coming through. It's like a using two parallel storytelling methods at once is really, really exciting for me. Um, and I think some of the most interesting um, musical theatre work out there uses like both the, the musical mode and the lyrics themselves or the libretto or the book or whatever um, mm, to, mm. yeah, tell two interesting different narratives that weave together in a really fascinating way. Um, and I think just, again, that, that, that sense of emotional programming um, and emotions really being a thing that kind of drive me when it comes to theatre work. Like, music is, you know, the, the exact key to the emotions. Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. a music person. Um, mm. So it, it just, they, they, they hook into you and mm. you're suddenly like, I don't know why this chord progression makes me cry, but it does. Mm. Um, and, and I think science hasn't really explained how music exactly works. No, and, it, and it'll be really disappointing when it does. Exactly. Yeah. And it will, yeah, yeah it, it, it's just one of those things which, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it just is, it's a thing about being yeah. human, is how music affects us. And so I think on that emotional level, works that have got music involved with them um, really drive me um, because I think they hit me on that level as well as the intellectual, which words often, you know, there's obviously important emotional stuff that comes out of words, but they don't have that direct line to your heart the way that music does. Mm. Um, yeah, I think the thing that musical theatre gets a bad rap for um, amongst communities that aren't into mm. it is a sense of that it's a, one specific genre and I think people go like oh show tunes are this type of thing and they all sound like this and I think that sort of comes from a limit limit of experience because yeah, well, this such is, a range of genres this, like it's a form not a genre yeah that's right yeah. this is the problem <laughs> this is the problem with any of this right like I go yeah. on the radio and talk about Fleetwood Mac and I have people go oh I don't like Fleetwood Mac because they've heard the, their five big singles and yeah. it's like hey man there's this whole story there or whatever and we can drill down into anything yeah. like that and go well you actually have to do the work yeah to know it like, and i think to... and i think the thing is as well as like even if you're talking about a specific genre like i wouldn't mm. go as far to be like oh i don't like any of the genre of this yeah but i can understand people that are like oh i don't like country music because it sounds like i don't know whatever reasons you have for not liking yeah, yeah. music i like country music but yeah. <laughs> um you know but i think applying that logic to musical theater i'm like but you have country musical theatre, you have mm. rap musical theatre, yeah, you yeah. have R&B musical theatre, you have like mm. <laughs> like contemporary art music, opera musical theatre, you've got a whole lot of different types of things that all technically fall under musical theatre. So if you're saying you don't like any of those things, <laughs> I'm like, what is the, like, can you pinpoint <laughs> for me the thing you don't like? Yeah, yeah. And I think normally it's like, oh, because it's so cheesy, or oh, because it's so, you know, because they're singing about what they're, what they're doing all the time, yeah, or they're singing yeah. about what they're, and I'm like, that just sounds like you don't like a particular show, <laughs> and now you've applied it to all So what's your, what, what, yeah. what's your kind of go-to show or shows? What are the big ones for you that... Like just favourite kind of Yeah, things. that you yeah. can watch forever or so revisit on whatever, my, whether it's... My absolute favourite musical um, mm. is Caroline or Change, which is fairly obscure. Mm. Um, it's from 2004. It's written by Tony Kushner, who wrote Angels in America, yeah, yeah. Um, with uh, Janine Tesori, who wrote Fun Home. Um, she's a composer, and she's done a lot of different things, but Fun Home's her most famous one. And it is it starred Tonya Pinkins, it's, it's original production. I have seen a bootleg of it, but I've never seen it on stage. Um, I've just I just listened mm. to the soundtrack. Mm. But it is um, 
opera style it's it's through composed yeah, right. it's it's all completely sung um and it's the story of this woman caroline who works as a maid for a jewish family in the 1960s in south carolina um in the in louisiana i don't know why i thought carolina i can't remember anyway oh they, they start with a c the town mm. they're in um but uh she yeah has this that it's about her struggle in wanting to rebel and wanting to you know be proud and to follow the the new waves of, of black liberation that are coming through and wanting to um yeah kind of stick up for herself in that way while also having to sacrifice for her four children that mm. she has to provide for and eventually having to make the really heartbreaking damning choice of sucking up her pride going to work and continuing to like put her head down and you know you get the sense she will do that till the, till the day she dies and it's this heartbreaking tragedy of what the 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 social conditions of like being mm. black in the mid mid century America meant for those people that weren't able to go out and shout on the streets and join the protests because they needed to live. Um, so how did you how did you how did you find it? How did you come to it? Was it? Uh, my friend Mike gave it to me. Right. Yeah, so, <laughs> he he supplied me with a lot of musicals right. in the past. Yeah, yeah. And I do the same for him now. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's one of these things where I just listen to it and the the nuance and the complexity of that story mm. and the emotional level that it's speaking on and the way that it, you know, it takes something like the help where it's like, oh, it's about like, they were actually like mm. friendly in the end or like the, the sort of the really trite stories you mm. get about being a black person working as a servant of white people or in this case, Jewish people, which is another interesting nuance because they're not also like the, the, the waspy upper class either. Mm -hmm. um, but like what that means, um, and exploring it from all of these different levels, like why a person like that feels constricted by society. It's about, you know, social pressures and um, the, the, the sort of depths of hum like humiliation that you feel having to put on the stupid maid's uniform and go and be polite to people that you hate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or like, don't even hate, but you mm -hmm. hate the position of having to be polite to them when you're in a bad mood. Um, and it's, yeah, and the fact that in order for her to make that sacrifice, her children are able to eventually, you know, be the ones that go on the civil rights mm. marches and go and fight for their rights. And I think as a person of colour as well, I'm like, oh, I feel that because, like, you know, it's my ancestors that are the ones that have, like, kept their heads down and suffered racial abuse and mm. so forth for, you know, however many generations of being Chinese in New Zealand. Like, my ancestors pay paid poll tax, like, you know, all mm. of that stuff. Um, but they didn't fight about it. They just sort of had to suffer that humiliation. Um, that allows for people of my generation and, and, and earlier to be the ones that, you know, protest and, and have that political voice. Um, and it's about the sacrifices of our parents. And so I just identify with it and I just think it's so interesting and complex. Mm. And, ah, it's just, yeah, it's and only like <laughs> the most incredible kind of like team of people that could make this thing, that could think on that level. And it is all through music and it says some beautiful music in mm. it as well. And it, it mixes you know, this sort of soul, um, this kind of more like upbeat 60s, kind of like the daughter's themes are a lot, uh, are um, very kind of uh, 60s girl group kind of stuff. It mixes a lot of Jewish music like Kletzma mm. and that kind of things for the, the, the other family, um, as well as, yeah, all these different traditional things. And it's just the, the, the beautiful concoction of all these different types of musical roots as well. And it's just, yeah, it's astounding as a piece of art that's 
you know, right. beaten by Evan yeah, and, right. and the Tonys that year. So <laughs> fuck off, Evan UQ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, see, I think that you, I was going to say you've sold me on it. I'm going to check it out. But, um, <laughs> but then, you know, like, that's exactly it, isn't it? Is something mm. like Avenue Q uh, becomes foremost in people's mind of oh so that's what they're doing with musical theatre now and no disrespect yeah. to anyone who enjoys that and but I like I look was at, great in 2004 I think exactly. it's aged very poorly yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I think that's just the thing is like you can't say you know if you listen to the the top 40 stations and go like here is music this is what music is mm. and you don't like any of that top 40 and you go like guess music's not for me yeah yeah like it's just foolish you yeah know? yeah like, yeah so that's much right more out there and i think it's i mean honestly i would say the same for like theater in general as well like there are some people that don't like it i mean there are some people i've heard of who don't like going to see their friends in shows because they think it's weird that their friends are pretending to be other people yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't I, maybe that theater's just not for them yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. but in general i would say like it's it's just a form of storytelling and mm. unless you hate stories in which case what a weird life you must have yeah yeah but um yeah I, I would say for most people like there is something for you there's something that you'll find interesting in every art form and that in includes musical theatre yeah mm. and you're um you're a bit of a podcast fan as well I am and, I love podcasts and you're a podcast <laughs> practitioner yes so you, you guys are doing a thing called <laughs> about movies yeah so this is me and my old mates this is James yeah. uh, James Cain and Matt Loverains yeah so um, it's another Red Scare production <laughs> so sort of it's sort not of. really technically <laughs> yeah, yeah. Red Scare it's no. just another side project yeah but we're doing we do a podcast called Mixed Bag mm. um, which is where we review um, kind of movies that either completely forgotten <laughs> like yeah. absolutely no like critical response <laughs> pro or con yeah um or things that got like a really polarizing response some people loved it some people hated it or things that were kind of positive that have then got a bad rap yeah yeah okay um, so you're not kind going of weird in between movies you're not going for the highbrow these are the best movies of all time no. and you're not going for the um the real low the low-hanging fruit yeah. of it's not citizen kane it's not the room it's yeah sort of the, <laughs> what else is in things there? that might have aspects of both yeah. or anything so in between it's been interesting we're kind of about four or five episodes yeah. in i think now um so we've done so for the that has lost its acclaim over time we did forrest gump um yeah. which obviously great reviews when it came out and mm. then people have kind of reassessed it and been like is this good i don't yeah. know if this is good um across the universe which mm. i like loved when I saw it rewatch it again had to admit even myself like <laughs> second half of this is bad yeah <laughs> the other two hated it um, yeah. on the rewatch I still so stick up for it <laughs> are, you are you watching the movies all together or do you go we away we have we have watched it together but the last yeah. one we did we just couldn't find time to yeah. watch it separately yeah um, but we always record together um, yeah it's kind of actually quite interesting if we watch it separately because we come back and mm. like did you like it what mm. was the <laughs> yeah because you can actually you're gauging yeah. the response when you're Whereas in the room if you watch it all together yes. then you kind of yes. all of us go like ah the same yeah. time Time, then we, we all know what we're thinking um, but it's a lot of fun and yeah. it's just it's fun to kind of reassess stuff or see things that I've never seen before um, like we saw Made in Manhattan um, right, yeah, yeah. Which, which I've never seen Made in Manhattan yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like surprisingly pretty good yeah. like not bad except for the fact that the love interests are Republican yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes that's one of those like just dime a dozen throw it in the dumpster rom-coms that yeah from like it, it a was, not a particularly good period of no that's right and it was either. and if you were like i remember watching it because i was renting movies all the yeah. time and i was just getting 
the new releases as a but but why would you bother otherwise? It's not exactly. something you'd you know it's not something you'd ever send someone back to. I mean, God. We so want, how did you how did yeah. you decide on something like that? Like, well, that one was uh everybody sort of brings their own offer. And yeah. So that one was Matt because uh, yeah. he's wanted to see he's really keen to see hustlers. I think right. Okay. He was like, let's yeah, look yeah. at another J Lo. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I put forward Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Oh uh, yeah. Which is absolutely a forgotten film yeah. and quite rightly actually on yeah. the revisit but I it's just one of those films I remember seeing in 2008 when it came out and being like that was so average yeah. I, I didn't hate it I didn't love it <laughs> yeah I just I have no opinion on that film and yeah, seeing a, it again and being like I like the concept of it wow. because of the podcast <laughs> because that's been the a purgatory that I've been in for a while too is like the hardest thing to write about yeah. I've always said is like the three star album or, exactly. or movie because if you if you come out and you fucking hate something you just go at it and oh, it's yeah, good fun yeah. if you come out and you love something you go yeah, at it you, 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 you sometimes think oh I'm being a bit you know over the top or uh, mm. how do I find something new to say because everyone loves it So, but it's still pretty easy to just get your yeah. fingers blazing but when something is just sort of you know, yeah. like I think like, about those. I think about those. Like <laughs> I think about the early Coldplay albums. You know, they weren't terrible, but they fine. weren't great. Yeah. I mean, they eventually, to me, got to be a really silly sounding band. But those first few albums, it's like, this is okay. How yes. do you say that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're kind of finding Coldplay esque. Basically, films. the Coldplay of films. Yeah, is yeah. One hundred percent. Or put that on. The, <laughs> <laughs> put that on our, on our iTunes. There's your press praise for that so one. Yeah, yeah. The Coldplay of films. <laughs> Uh, great, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's basically just yeah trying to find something to say about these things because yeah. sometimes going through them again, like God, Nick and Nora, we were just like, this is so gross. This is such a gross out comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's not advertised as that, but there is some gross stuff in it. I was like, this is mm. like some really stomach churning things to watch. It's amazing how <laughs> how quickly, um, yeah fairly pedestrian kind of you know mm. just goes under the radar how quickly that stuff from the last 10 years mm. is made to look av- average and quite offensive yeah like some weird little things there's some just one some things with that those big jokes on there there was we watched bedazzled as well that was one oh of the yeah ones. and yeah. bedazzled it was like there was so many bits we we're like this is working this is really funny and then there'll be a joke that comes in that we're like oh that's mm. not a good joke that mm. one's dated now um and it kind of just just chucks it back the other way mm. uh which is really annoying and then um yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, just all the different things that you you kind of forgot about that movie existing. Like I listened to a podcast, Blank Check, um, which is a, all about directors' filmographies. Mm. And Griffin Newman, who's one of the hosts on that, has the phrase like, "This film does not exist." To talk about certain <laughs> films, and it's one hundred percent. That's those are the ones that we're doing. Is like this film doesn't exist. Oh wow, cool. Like, because yeah. yeah, so many things come up, and an actor's. IMDb page and you're like, well, that film doesn't exist. <laughs> so are you hoping? What's the plan with that? You got, you got plenty of episodes. I mean, because it's infinite, we're not going to run out of material. No, no, no. That's certainly the thing. Yeah, and yeah. Um, James and I had an earlier podcast called the Tony Club, which is kind of on hiatus now. Which um, we were reading scripts of um, all the Tony Award winners. Yeah. Kind of going from the start of the Tony Awards through. And we got to the point where we're just like, I just don't have time to like read the yeah, script yeah. of this 1950s bedroom <laughs> comedy that like, oh, I'm not interested in at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then find muster up some, you know. Yeah, that's actual homework, it. man. Yeah, that's proper homework. Yeah. Whereas just I can watch Made in Manhattan. Yeah, that's right. That. <laughs> yeah. I can always find time to. Always got time to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so it's fun and it's an excuse to hang out with friends and mm. you know. Check mm. through things. We're trying to get some guests on at some point, so that'll be nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what? And so, 
Red's gear next year, you've got... Yeah, and the pro- the planning process yeah, at this yeah. stage. The only thing that we can announce at this stage is uh, Movers from um, oh, 2018 yeah, yeah. is yeah. going on Arts on Tour, which is really exciting. Cool. So throughout June, that's going to be at quite a few of the smaller centres around um, New Zealand. We're kind of going up through like New Plymouth and Gisborne and places mm. like that, and then down quite a lot of places in the South Island. Um, which would be really exciting. Mm. Um, so, and yeah. you've got a secret project in the Fringe Festival. Secret thing in the Fringe Festival. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of still working on that yeah, at this yeah. stage, but we've just put a registration in yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that'll be a thing, but it's not Red Scare, so it doesn't, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. technically count as, um, as this. And then, yeah, the rest of our programming is still TBC. Hopefully yeah. we'll have it out by... Um, sort of mid-November is when we try to kind of release our program. Yeah, yeah. And um, that, like, around the time that the final show for the year wraps exactly. up, basically. Yeah, around the time we're finishing up with that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and otherwise it's just Green Barrow Pub. Um, so, yeah, we've still got early bird tickets on sale at the moment. I don't know when this podcast comes out. Well, so we'll put might... it up in a, in a week or two so that Sweet. we can... So uh... we, I think we might have just finished early bird tickets by mm. then, but you can just buy tickets on Event Finder. It's going to yeah. be really good. Um, it's going to be just a lot of fun, particularly if you like Irish music. Mm. Um just come along and it, it, it's I feel like Irish music is just so enjoyable <laughs> it's like just sitting and watching like really virtuosic fiddle players and guitarists mm. just having a jam and having a session is so lovely um, and, and you yeah. feel the um, the centuries or the decades and centuries yeah. of storytelling in when they're playing yeah, yeah. it's been actually yeah. really awesome we've just had a yeah. new uh, our final cast member has just kind of come on board um, Emily Griffiths who is our uh, fiddle player and also playing Tin Whistle uh, and she's a uh, folk music um, aficionado mm. and so she's kind of really strong background in sessions and in Irish music and has been kind of a consultant on that as well as playing in the band mm. um, and it's been really really awesome having her on board to sort of help the rest of us who have kind of got a music background but not necessarily that strict Irish folk kind of um, understanding um, and it's been just really really fun just having jams with the band at rehearsals and <laughs> all the rest of it it's really mm. cool mm. yeah hey well thanks heaps it's, thank you so much thanks for letting pleasure. me talk your talk your ear off